Welcome to the Economics Explored podcast. I'm your host, Gene Tunney. This is episode 59, The Natural Rate of Unemployment. First, I'd just like to say my apologies for the delay in producing this episode. I've had to travel up to Rockhampton in Queensland to give a talk and it's delayed production. Okay. Around the world, unemployment rates spiked up during the COVID recession. For instance, the US unemployment rate surged to nearly 15% in April, although it has fallen since then to be just under 8% in September. This is still much higher than it was pre-COVID. In February, the US unemployment rate was 3.5%. Queensland, the state of Australia in which I live, has the highest unemployment rate in the country, at 7.7%, compared with a national average of 6.9%. Job creation is a prominent issue in the lead-up to the Queensland state election, this Saturday, 31 October. The opposition party, the Liberal National Party, or LNP, has proposed a 5% unemployment rate target. Arguably, such a target would only make sense if this were Queensland's so-called natural rate of unemployment. A rate of unemployment that was consistent with sustainable economic growth that didn't lead to accelerating inflation. An alternative concept to the natural rate of unemployment is the NIRU, or Non-Accelerating Inflation rate of unemployment. The natural rate, or NIRU, are similar concepts and are often used interchangeably, but aren't necessarily precisely the same. For the moment, let's consider that they are the same. Broadly speaking, they're they're similar concepts, and they're a rate of unemployment that's natural in the sense that it isn't being temporarily driven up by a recession or suppressed due to a boom. The aim of this episode is to make all of this a lot clearer. I spoke with my good friend and former Australian Treasury colleague, Joe Brannigan, about the Queensland opposition's 5% unemployment target and the idea of a NIRU or natural rate of unemployment. The opposition's unemployment rate target came up in the context of a discussion that Joe and I were having about the opposition's plan to improve the Bruce Highway, which is the major highway running along Queensland's coast connecting Brisbane in southeast Queensland with Cairns in far north Queensland. Here's an excerpt of our conversation which I first published on my Queensland Economy Watch blog. But on the labour market benefits, if you look at the unemployment rate in Queensland, and the LNP have talked a lot about the high unemployment rate and they've set a goal of um, 5% unemployment rate in four years' time. 5%. So this is the The, same as the Beattie government set back in, uh, I don't know, 98, 99, because my first job in the public service was uh, in the employment task force, which was dedicated to achieving that 5%. And then Campbell Newman had a 4% target, didn't he? So now the LNP is promising a 5% target. 
Yes, they are. And I mean, what, what's interesting, you know, is it is it 5.9 or 5.0? They're, they're, <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're very different things. And, you know, the, the, the problem in Queensland is that it's a highly disaggregated labour market. So you get a lot of frictional unemployment. And so what I mean by that is if you look at, if you compare the unemployment rate in Brisbane compared to the rest of Queensland, since, since the recession in 1991, the unemployment rate in Brisbane has been 0.7 percentage points lower than the rest of Queensland. Uh, it has a lower minimum and a lower maximum, and there's less variation. The standard deviation is lower. So if you want to have a low unemployment rate in Queensland, and recognising that Queensland is a highly cyclical economy, you need to connect the regions. You need to you know, things like upgrading the Bruce Highway, connecting better to the Sunshine Coast and Toowoomba makes that unemployment rate lower on average than what we call in economic terms the Nehru, the, the lowest Ooh. possible unemployment rate. So Let's uh, spell that out, what, Joe. What, what does Nehru or Nehru stand for? Well, it stands for the non-accelerating inflation rate of unemployment, but, but what, it, what it means in plain English is... Uh, and, and Milton Friedman um, um, famously defined this in his 1968 um, presidential address to the American Economic Association. It's the unemployment rate that you get when the economy is operating in equilibrium, but you have all the regulations, the minimum wage laws, um, all of those things that will lead to some amount of unemployment because you're pricing people out of the labour market with minimum wages. You might have, you know, different qualifications that, that people need. So, to you know, to get into jobs, you have people moving between jobs. So, you always have a little bit of frictional unemployment. So, the natural rate of unemployment in Queensland has been higher on average than the rest of the country because Queensland is a highly regional economy. So when you're in a boom, you can get unemployment in the in regional Queensland as low as 3% in the middle of a resources boom. But the problem is when you're not in the middle of a resources boom, you get much higher rates of unemployment because people can't simply sell their house and move their family and move their kids into southeast Queensland. They want to stay there. They have family connections there. So getting back to the Bruce Highway, if you're connecting southeast Queensland to regional Queensland, you're actually helping uh, regional economic development, you're helping um, people move around to where the jobs are, and you're lowering what we call the Nairu or the natural rate of unemployment. So that's why I think in principle, the Bruce Highway upgrade is really a no-brainer, but Okay, there are a few concepts in Joe's remarks we'll need to explore. First, let's deal with frictional unemployment. This is defined in the macroeconomics textbook by Dornbush, Bodman, Fisher and Starts as the unemployment associated with the movement of workers in and out of jobs in normal times. Okay, so there will always be people in between jobs and new entrants to the, la- to the labour force, such as school leavers or parents re-entering the workforce. They won't find jobs immediately and many will have a temporary spell of unemployment. The unemployment rate will always be above zero and is probably 3 to 4% at least. 
it's not directly observable and it can be d- difficult to distinguish this frictional unemployment from other types of unemployment. And the two other types which are often talked about are structural unemployment and cyclical unemployment. So I hope that's reasonably clear first on frictional unemployment. It's not going to be optimal really to immediately match people to jobs. There has to be some sort of search process and that's going to be good for employers to make sure they get the best people and it's also good for employees to make sure they get a job that matches their skills and they'll be happy doing. Scott Waller from the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis wrote a very useful article in 2016 titled Making Sense of Unemployment Data and it's published on the St. Louis Fed's website. I'll include a link in the show notes. Here's a quote from it which helps us understand these different types of unemployment. Economists classify unemployment into three categories, frictional, structural and cyclical. Frictional unemployment results when people are temporarily unemployed, either because they are new to the job market or are searching for a better job. Structural unemployment is caused by a mismatch in the skills held by those looking for work and the skills demanded by those seeking workers. For example, when an auto assembly plant is moved to another city, the skills held by the plant's former workers may no longer be in demand in the worker's current location. They may have to relocate to cities with auto assembly plants or learn new job skills. Because workers are always entering the labour force and switching jobs, a certain amount of frictional unemployment is inevitable. Likewise, changes in technology and preferences guarantee that economies also suffer from structural unemployment. As such, a certain amount of unemployment is considered natural. Fittingly, the natural rate of unemployment is the sum of frictional and structural unemployment. Cyclical unemployment is associated with jobs lost due to recession. It is the deviation from the natural rate of unemployment. That's a really good explanation from Scott Waller, so full credit to him. He's from the St. Louis Fed. Let's think about what defining the natural rate as the sum of frictional and structural unemployment means, particularly regarding the link with inflation. If the economy is in a recession, then the weak state of the economy means there will be additional unemployed people and the actual unemployment rate will be above the natural rate. This will tend to suppress wage increases and inflation, as there are a lot more potential workers competing for the fewer jobs which are available. If the economy is in a boom, then the actual rate of unemployment could fall below the natural rate as the rate of hiring people becomes much faster than normal, as employers are desperate to find people both frictional and structural unemployment can be reduced. With fewer potential workers relative to vacancies, 
There will be pressure for wages to rise and prices to increase. As after all, employers will attempt to cover the costs of wage increases by increasing prices to consumers. The natural rate, or the NIRU, the non-accelerating inflation rate of unemployment, is a very important concept because central banks such as the US Federal Reserve or Australia's Reserve Bank will consider the natural rate or the NIRU and its monetary policy decision making. So long as unemployment remains above the NIRU, the central bank will be reluctant to tighten monetary policy, i.e. to put up interest rates, as there is little chance inflation would accelerate if the unemployment rate was greater than the NIRU. Okay. The logic behind the natural rate of unemployment was well expressed by the late great economist Nobel laureate Professor Milton Friedman in his famous 1967-68 presidential address to the American Economic Association, which Joe referred to in the clip I played earlier. Incidentally, Milton Friedman was undoubtedly the greatest communicator of economic ideas in the 20th century. And if you haven't watched them yet, please check out his free-to-choose TV series, which you can watch for free on YouTube. It is great. Let me now read from Milton Friedman's presidential address on the role of monetary policy. At any moment of time, there is some level of unemployment which has the property that it is consistent with equilibrium in the structure of real wage rates. At that level of unemployment, real wage rates are tending on the average to rise at a normal secular rate, i.e. at a rate that can be indefinitely maintained so long as capital formation, technological improvements, etc. remain on their long-run trends. A lower rate of unemployment is an indication that there is an excess demand for labour that will produce upward pressure on real wage rates. A higher level of unemployment is an indication that there is an excess supply of labour that will produce downward pressure on real wage rates. The natural rate of unemployment, in other words, is the level that would be ground out by the Walrasian system of general equilibrium equations, provided there is embedded in them the actual structural characteristics of the labour and commodity markets, including market imperfections, stochastic, that is random, variability in demands and supplies, the cost of gathering information about job vacancies and labour availabilities, the cost of mobility, and so on. Righto. We'd better talk about this uh, Walrasian system of general equilibrium equations that uh, Milton Friedman wrote about. Leon Walras was a French mathematician and economist who lived from 1834 to 1910. He is famous for developing the first model of what is known as general equilibrium, which is equilibrium across all markets in the economy. 
That is, all markets clearing by price adjustments so that demands and supplies for commodities are equal in all markets. His model was rudimentary by today's standards and didn't actually prove general equilibrium was feasible. This wasn't done until 1954 by US economist and Nobel laureate Kenneth Arrow and the French economist Gerard Debreu. But Volra's contribution was rightly celebrated. There's quite a bit to uh, explain with general equilibrium, so we might return to that in another episode. Okay, so Friedman is essentially identifying the natural rate of unemployment at, as that rate at which the unemployment rate would settle if it adjusts as much as it can, if we have the price changes and wage changes to clear the markets as much as allowed by the regulations and and just the uh, what is what does he talk about the structural characteristics of those markets including market imperfections variability in demands and supplies cost of gathering information okay so he's recognizing that there will be some frictional unemployment and He's also identifying that there could be some structural unemployment. You could call it structural unemployment in the case where you have minimum wages, for example, which might be too high and which mean that there are some low-skilled workers or potential workers who can't produce output valuable enough that it's worth hiring them at the minimum wage. So I think that's what Friedman is saying there. So Friedman referred to market imperfections. So what are they? As I mentioned earlier, they're things such as minimum wage laws, which Joe mentioned in the clip I played earlier. Let's go to a paragraph in Friedman's presidential address to the American Economic Association in 1967. To avoid misunderstanding, let me emphasize that by using the term natural rate of unemployment, I do not mean to suggest that it is immutable and unchangeable. On the contrary, many of the market characteristics that determine its level are man-made and policy-made. In the United States, for example, legal minimum wage rates, the Walsh-Healy and Davis-Bacon Acts, and the strength of labour unions all make the natural rate of unemployment higher than it would otherwise be. Improvements in employment exchanges, in availability of information about job vacancies and labour supply and so on, would tend to lower the natural rate of unemployment. I use the term natural for the same reason Vixel did to try to separate the real forces from monetary forces. Vixel, 
was uh, Knut Wicksell, a very famous Swedish economist, I think. I'll I'll check that, and uh, if I'm wrong, I'll mention that in the show notes. Okay. Regarding the two pieces of legislation that Friedman referred to, the Walsh-Healy and Davis-Bacon Acts, those are US federal acts of Congress. The Walsh-Healy Public Contracts Act 1936 is a New Deal law requiring that companies contracting to the US government provide basic labour rights. The Davis-Bacon Act of 1931 requires private contractors to pay prevailing wage rates for federally funded construction projects. In Friedman's view, such laws interfere with the proper functioning of the market, which would see wages adjust to clear the labour market, eliminating any cyclical unemployment. So we've got acts such as those, and there are various uh, minimum wage laws, which, as I mentioned above, could make it uneconomic, to hire certain people. I should note there's a large economic literature dedicated to estimating the impact on employment of minimum wage rates and it's fair to say that the jury's still out on whether the adverse impact on employment of minimum wages that we'd expect from economic theory is that significant. My interpretation of the literature is that The adverse impact exists, but in many cases, in many countries and at different times, it hasn't been that large. We might return to this question in a future episode because it's an incredibly important one for government policy. It's possible that the reason we don't find large impacts of the minimum wage on employment is because many legislatures, so many congresses or parliaments, they're conscious that if they set that rate too high, then they would cost people jobs. That's uh, that's possibly one reason, but let's leave that to another episode. Milton Friedman was right to note that the natural rate of unemployment is not immutable and unchangeable. Indeed, it could change because of changes in policy settings such as minimum wages or due to changes in the demographic characteristics of the workforce or their education and skills profile. Younger workers typically have higher rates of frictional unemployment and lower skill workers are more at risk of structural unemployment. So a workforce that is older on average and higher skilled on average should have a lower natural rate of unemployment than one with the other characteristics, the opposite characteristics. Indeed, studies have shown that changes in workforce composition have reduced the natural rate of unemployment in advanced economies such as the United States in recent decades. Federal Reserve Bank of Kansas City senior economist Didem Tuzeman, apologies if I mispronounced your name, reported in an article she wrote in 2017 called A New Estimate of the Natural Rate of Unemployment, which I'll link to in the show notes. So she reported that 
I present a new estimate of the natural or trend rate of unemployment that accounts for changes in the age, sex and skill composition of the labour force. Based on this new estimate, the natural rate of unemployment has declined by 0.4 percentage points since 1994 and is currently 4.6%. Ongoing demographic and technological changes could lower the trend rate further to 4.4% by end of 2022. Here is where I should note, so this is me, Gene Tunney speaking, this is where I should note that the phenomenon of hysteresis can mean that the natural rate of unemployment could increase over time. This phenomenon was believed to apply to UK, European and Australian labour markets in the 1980s and 1990s. There was a concern that people losing their jobs would lose skills and their connection with the workforce the longer they remained unemployed. So an economy could end up with a hard core of unemployed people who are essentially unemployable. This appears to have been less of a problem this century as generally unemployment rates have been lower on average than they were in the last few decades of the 20th century. An economist at the Reserve Bank of Australia, Tom Cusbert, has written a great article on the factors which have affected the Nairu in Australia. Recall that Nairu stands for the non-accelerating inflation rate of unemployment. It tends to be the preferred term to use rather than the natural rate in Australia, even though it's awful to pronounce. Here's an extract from Tom Cusbert's RBA Bulletin article. The estimated Nairu peaked in 1995 at just over 7% of the labour force and has declined more or less steadily since then to around 5% in early 2017. While the structural determinants of the Nairu are not modelled here, other research has attempted to explain changes in the Nairu. The results of that research are far from conclusive but OECD studies provide some possible explanations. Those studies suggest that the increase in unemployment benefits as a share of average wages from the mid-1970s to the early 1990s and their subsequent decline influenced the rise and fall in the Nairu. Decreases in trade union membership and product market regulation are also estimated to have lowered the Nairu since the mid-1990s. The studies did not find any evidence that the level of the minimum wage affected the Nairu. Tom Cusbert continues, Economic conditions may also have delayed effects on the Nairu. Long periods of unemployment can decrease an individual's future employment opportunities, perhaps because of real or perceived skills attrition. These long periods out of work tend to occur more often when the unemployment rate is high. This process, known as hysteresis, can raise structural unemployment 
and often follows rapid increases in the unemployment rate during recessions. When the labour market is tight, employers are more likely to hire workers with less desirable work histories or characteristics. A period of employment often improves a person's future job prospects, which may lower structural unemployment. In Australia, the rise in the estimated Nauru between 1984 and 1995 occurred alongside two recessions. Conversely, the fall in the Nauru over the past 20 years has occurred during a prolonged period of economic growth. Okay, so that's interesting research from the RBA. They report that many structural characteristics, well, a few structural characteristics such as trade union membership and product market regulation, they've certainly affected the Nauru. Reductions in those things have brought it down. They didn't find much of an effect. Actually, they didn't find any evidence that the level of the minimum wage affected the Nauru. This this is a similar point to the one I made before. It's difficult to, to find that impact of minimum wages on unemployment. That's not to say that it, the relationship doesn't exist and certainly if you uh, if you really jack minimum wages up, you would definitely see an impact on unemployment. You'd see a reduction in employment of young people and and low-skilled people and an increase in unemployment for sure. The other characteristic was the unemployment benefit, wasn't it? So Tom Cusbert found that the increase in unemployment benefits as a share of average wages from the mid-1970s to the early 1990s and their subsequent decline influenced the rise and fall in the Nairu. So when unemployment benefits became more generous, that increased what economists call the reservation wage. So if you're getting a certain amount from unemployment benefits, then you'll have to get some premium over that to take a job because there's some value to the leisure that uh, that you're experiencing as an unemployed person. I know that sounds, that sounds harsh, but uh, that seems to be the case. So if you have your unemployment benefits set at too high a level, that will lead to many people not ta- not looking for work seriously or not, not taking jobs that they could take because the pay really isn't that great and they may as well just remain unemployed. Okay, all that is to say is that the unemployment Rate of unemployment benefits is one of those structural factors that will influence the natural rate of unemployment. Righto, before we go, I should deal with this uh, issue of the distinction between the natural rate and the, the Nairu. They're often used interchangeably, as I mentioned, but they're not necessarily the same thing. The best explanation of this, I think, is in a note for the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco in 1998, a note that was prepared by economist Carl E. Walsh. 
And Carl Walsh wrote in an article, is the natural rate the same thing as the Nairu? No. While the two are often viewed as synonymous, Estrella and Mishkin, 1998, argue that it is important to distinguish them. The natural rate is the unemployment rate that would be observed once short-run cyclical factors have played themselves out. Because wages and prices adjust sluggishly, the natural rate can be viewed as the unemployment rate when wages have had time to adjust to balance labour demand and supply. It depends on structural factors characterising the labour market and is generally assumed to change slowly over time. Since cyclical factors can take significant time to work themselves out, however, the natural rate may be less useful for policymakers concerned about the outlook for inflation over the next year or two. The Nairu, in Estrella and Mishkin's view, should be interpreted as the unemployment rate consistent with steady inflation in the near term, say over the next 12 months. The level of unemployment consistent with a steady inflation rate over such a time horizon can change significantly. For example, if weather conditions push up food prices, the level of unemployment consistent with a steady consumer price index inflation rate would increase, representing an increase in the short-run Nairu. An increase in productivity that puts downward pressures on prices would lower the short-run Nairu. Hence, the level of unemployment in the absence of cyclical factors need not be the same as the rate consistent with steady inflation in the short run, and the short run Nairu will fluctuate much more than the natural rate. Okay, I should note that even though they're not exactly the same thing, estimates of the Nairu and natural rate of unemployment tend to be pretty similar, or they're not wildly different from each other. There's a post on the Brookings website by Finn Schull and David Wessel. I'll link to that in the show notes. And they cite a range of estimates for the Nairu in the US. There's one from the Congressional Budget Office at 4.6%, one from Federal Reserve policymakers between 42 and 4.5%. And there's another estimate from some Fed economists and an economist at the University of Texas at Austin, which puts it at 4.1%. So these estimates are, well, they're in the same ballpark as the 4.6% estimate of the natural rate of unemployment for the US that I mentioned earlier. In conclusion, as usual, nothing in macroeconomics is straightforward. The natural rate of unemployment or the Nairu certainly isn't, but I hope this episode has uh, helped to shed some light on the general concept. I'm going to return to several of the issues that I discussed in this episode. I'd like to look more at the impact of minimum wages. We should also chat about the impact of unions. So the Reserve Bank of Australia found that Union membership has had an impact on the natural rate of 
unemployment and that's possibly by pushing up the earnings of their workforce and uh, pricing some other workers out of uh, out of the market that's possibly what's going on there we should chat about that in a future episode and look at the impact of unions on labor markets and and see what what do we see across countries we'll also talk about this idea of general equilibrium about how all of these markets interact with each other this is this concept that was alluded to in Milton Friedman's famous presidential address to the American Economic Association in 67. Okay, thanks for listening. Please let me know if you have any questions or if you'd like to make a comment by emailing me at gene.tunny at gmail.com. I'll try to answer any questions you have in a future episode. Until next week, Goodbye.